Uh, thanks, Evan. Uh, friends, let's pray. Uh, Father, we want the hope uh, that one can now have in Jesus to impact our lives considerably. Uh, please help us as we look at your word together through the power of your Holy Spirit to therefore bring this about. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, friends, uh, today we look at the last part of chapter 4 in our sermon series on 1 Thessalonians. And uh, what a heading for today's sermon, especially the last word of it, hope. <laughs> hope. It should be the name of a church, don't you think? <laughs> Welcome to Northern Hope Anglican Church. I suppose as uh, we look at knowing the hope, uh, we need to consider the importance of knowing. Like I don't think there is much in life that we can be confident about unless we also know about it. Knowing is therefore a very important concept. For example, some people spend a lot of years studying something to know it well. Uh, for example, just about all of us had, have had some form of schooling and for many years to know stuff so that we are prepared for the workforce and family life. Uh, for example, my wife has now spent her last 40 years, wow, 40, trying to get to know me. <laughs> yes, it's our 40th wedding anniversary later this year. Uh, what is 40 anyway? Is it rock, scissors or paper? <laughs> Who knows? Anyone know? What's 40? Ruby. Oh, who said Ruby? Oh, you know all about it, Graham. Oh, <laughs> shows you how old I am. So I need to go to Ruby Vale, Faye. Can you get me? Can you get me a Ruby? <laughs> and Christine, can you? Where's Christine? Can you polish the Ruby for me to give it to my wife? Ruby. Okay. All right. Anyway, yes, knowing is very important, and it shapes who we are, and what we do. Well, it should. For a Christian, knowing Jesus as one's Lord and Saviour means knowing God. Uh, without Jesus, we do not know God. Without Jesus, we therefore know no hope. Well, uh, Paul, Silas and Timothy, in this letter to the new Christians in Thessalonica, it's a big word, isn't it, Bob? <laughs> Thessalonica, obviously had some chats to them about the return of Jesus. And the subject matter is not only in every chapter... But also it seems might have made them think about those who had died knowing Christ. Like, what happens to them? And also, how are we supposed to feel about their death? And especially if they are very close to us. Like, are we still to cry heaps? Perhaps sob? It's a good question to ask. As I'm sure we have all gone through this, and even if we haven't, we certainly most likely will one day, let alone <laughs> our own pending death. And this section deals with this very topic. I've called it Knowing the Hope. Now please look at the uh, 13th verse of chapter 4. If you're using a church... <laughs> yeah, I've got to get my head around that. No pews. A church-provided Bible. We're on page 1796 or opposite the uh, sermon outline there. So first part of verse 13. And in that we're told, 
Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death. Now we'll come back to this concept of describing death as sleeping later. But the thing I want us to notice here is this. The church leaders of this church in Thessalonica wanted them all to know, hence the words, we do not want you to be uninformed as to what will happen to those who have died yet were Christians. And that is why on your sermon outlines I've said that a Christian needs to grow in knowledge. Yes, a Christian needs to grow in knowledge. Yes, a Christian, and I don't think we ever stop learning actually, sometimes God even disciplines us in order to keep us growing. Uh, perhaps he's doing that to some of us now. And needs to keep growing in knowledge. And so I ask you, as I ask myself, are we growing in knowledge? Am I growing in knowledge? Paul, Silas and Timothy certainly wanted this church to grow, hence informing them about what will happen when a Christian dies. They certainly didn't want this group of believers to not know. You know, I had uh, certain beliefs uh, that I needed to change when I became a Christian. You could say that the Lord was on my case like Paul, Silas and Timothy to make sure that I changed what I thought was the case. As many of you know, I became a follower of Jesus, was born again at the age of 30. Now, it doesn't matter when, <laughs> as long as you do. And so at the age of 30, I became a Christian. And I had two beliefs, among many others, <laughs> that needed changing. You could say that I needed to grow in knowledge. Yes, as implied here, a Christian needs to grow in knowledge. The first one concerned men and women. You could say male and female. You could say boys and girls. I thought they were equal and equal. It wasn't until I grew in knowledge that I realised that the Bible, what God said, and men and women are certainly equal, but different. I would add very different, but I, I, I won't joke about that. <laughs> very different. Both men and women are equally loved by God and equally important to God, but God has given men and women different roles and those roles obviously need to be lived out in family life and in church life. Yes, I needed to grow in my knowledge and in this case change what I had been taught, no doubt, by the world around me. Uh, the second area concerned, and uh, it's like a word like Thessalonica <laughs> or Thessalonians, the second area concerned, predestination. <laughs> yes, it's a really big word. You see, I originally thought that a person chooses Jesus. And at one level they do. But something much greater is going on behind the scenes. And what is it that's much greater? It's when I realised, as I read the Bible, that is, grew in knowledge, that a person can only choose Jesus when God enables him or her. 
Yes, amazingly, in love, God has chosen that in advance. I find it hard to get my head around. Hence the word predestination, Ephesians 1.5. Hence the word elect, Matthew 24.24. 24. Now, I mention these or those two things, not to get us all going, <laughs> but I mention them to show you some specific examples of where I've grown in knowledge. Is God wants all his people to keep growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Compare to Peter, chapter 3, verse 18. The second point flows on from this, and uh, it is this, knowledge should affect how a Christian now lives. Knowledge should affect how a Christian now lives. And that makes perfect sense, doesn't it? It's when we know something that it should affect how we live. And as I said in the beginning, we might be able to more easily relate to this in other areas of our life. What we now know to be true should affect how we now live. And it's at this point where I need to say that as Christians, those who now belong to Christ, that is Jesus, and as Christians, especially those who have now committed to NHA, Northern Hope Anglican, that I'll need to share with you later on in the notices something we've only just found out. <laughs> Actually Thursday, Thursday night, only three days ago. And it will certainly affect, should affect, Perhaps now test how we live. And this sort of thing is exactly what Paul, Silas and Timothy wanted to see in the Christians in Thessalonica. They wanted to inform them so that their lives would be greatly impacted. And later in the notices, we will need to inform you about something. Uh, but... For now, please look at the rest of verse 13 with me. As we looked at, brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death. And why? So that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. Yes, knowing this should affect our lives. And how well knowing this means that we should not grieve like the rest of mankind, when a follower of Jesus, who we know, and perhaps very well, dies. And why not grieve like others? Answer, because we have a hope now. Yes, our future is secure because in Jesus we have hope. And the hope is not just wishful thinking, it is sure and certain or a confidence and assurance depending on your translation compare Hebrews 11.1 1. and this hope revolves all around the faith or belief we have now been given you could say a creed uh, please have a look at this short statement of faith uh, the reason for our hope the reason is faith I'll repeat that. The reason for hope is a sure and certain reason, and it's faith. Please look at verse 14 to see what I mean. For we believe, I hope <laughs> you do, there's that word again, 
Uh, for we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we, I would also, I would add, also, believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. Hence why some Christians today say soul sleep. There it is. But irrespective of that, that is not the point here. The point here is that is what one believes about Jesus. If one believes Jesus died, that is, took the punishment for our sins on the cross, the punishment we deserve before a holy God, Good Friday, and that one believes that Jesus rose again, that death could not hold him down, Easter Sunday, that is, he was a perfect offering for our sins, God was completely appeased. So too, all who now believe in him are now regarded as dead to sin and therefore will rise. In this sense, he has been, Jesus has been our substitute. Therefore, even though we die one day, yet shall we live. It's interesting when Jesus spoke all about this topic, as he did in John 11, he also said, I am the resurrection and the life. Do you, do you remember the next word? Do you believe this? That's why I said that you could say this was a mini creed, a statement of belief. And it is this belief that gives us a sure and certain hope, explained in verse 15. In verse 15 we're told that, and please have a look at it. Verse 15, according to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. And so not only should we not grieve like the rest of mankind in this world, people who have no sure and certain hope, but those who have died as a Christian are not forgotten. If anything, we're now told they will rise first. Now look at verse 16. We sung about this in glorious day and how great they are too. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet call of God. And so it's going to be very, very, a very significant occasion. No doubt for all to see and hear. But notice the next bit. And the dead in Christ will rise first so if you have lost a loved one and they were a follower of Jesus you don't need to worry about them irrespective of what might be going on for them now in saying that that is a, a very big question <laughs> that lots of blood have been spilt over as lots of lots of sweat has been shed and lots of books have been written concerning what is happening now with those who have died in the faith. But as I said, if you've lost a loved one and they were a follower of Jesus, we don't need to worry about them. When Jesus returns, 
they will, whatever it means, rise first. What a glorious day that will be. Nothing here about unbelievers. That's coming in the next chapter. Yes, what a glorious day that will be. Now, that's a good name for a song, isn't it, Sienna <laughs> and Jenny? Interestingly, we've changed from sleep to dead. Did you notice that in verse 16? Regularly throughout the scriptures we see the word sleep rather than dead. And I don't want to make too big a thing of it, but it seems that the word sleep is at least used, at least used as a euthanism. That is a much nicer word. <laughs> rather than saying a person is dead. It seems like it is used in the same way that we today tend to say, and I've heard a lot of us say this, that person's passed away rather than died. <laughs> Pass away is much nicer, isn't it? In other words, it also is a euthanism. You could also say that the word cemetery, I'm guessing many of us don't realise this, but the word cemetery is also a euthanism. Because do you know what it literally means, the word cemetery? It means a sleeping place. A sleeping place. Anyway, uh, please have a look at verse 17. After that, that is after the dead in Christ rising, yes, after that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with them forever. <laughs> no. The focus is on the Lord. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Uh, this verse, hence why some Christians say, is all about the rapture. There it is. But irrespective of that, <laughs> that is also not the actual point here. Now the original Greek uses a noun, that is meeting, whereas we have a verb in this verse, that is meet. It therefore should read that we are going to have a meeting with the Lord and with everyone else together. It's going to be like a, <laughs> you've been to one of these? Reunions. It's like a reunion, you could say. Different to a reunion, but like a reunion. A reunion with others, but the first time we will be physically with the Lord. Yes, what a glorious day it will be. And so if the Lord returns while I'm still alive, and who knows when he will return, he himself doesn't know. <laughs> uh, in saying that, the next chapter tells us some stuff. Not only will I be physically with the Lord forever, and how great is that, but I will see again, have a reunion with some of my mates. Brian. And for many of us, Waza. 
Well, that's what I called Warwick. Waza. And a lovely friend of mine, Kathy, who I think died far too young. Yes, what a day it will be. <laughs> and knowing this should certainly affect how I now live, irrespective of the age we are. And all of this brings us to our final point today. Knowledge, that is knowing all of this, should also encourage Christians. Yes, in verse 13 we are told, therefore encourage one another with these words, with these very words. So, I am denied about this, <laughs> but I'm going to do that right now. I'm just going to reread those words. We're to encourage each other with these words. So verses 13 to 18. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Amen to that. Thanks, Barbara.